Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Ash Bennington. Welcome to Building Blocks, a podcast about people's journey into the Bitcoin, blockchain, and digital asset space. Join me as we seek to get to the bottom of what's really happening. Matthew, welcome to Building Blocks. Hello. Hi. Happy to be here. Well, it's great to have you. You know, we were talking a little bit off camera uh, about the nature of this show and how we talk about people's journey into the crypto space. So let's get started. What did you do before you got into crypto, Matthew? I've been a sale entrepreneur for the past 27 years uh, and uh, was born and raised in Paris. Then I, you know, started a few companies there, started five companies, uh, sold three to went public. Then I also, also I moved to New York and now uh, moved to Los Angeles. So my, my, my focus was at the time building gaming companies. And then I came to crypto a bit later. Yeah. So what was it about crypto that tempted you away from gaming companies? I mean, I've always been very, I'm, I'm not an engineer myself, but I've always been, you know, into technology in general. I've always been curious about new technology. So I think the first time I was exposed to crypto was probably in 2011, you know, by mining my own Bitcoin at the time. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was after reading an article in Wired magazine, which, which I loved at the time. Um, and, uh, I, I lost the, the Bitcoin that I mined at the time, obviously, like a lot of people. I have no idea where they are today. I use uh, my personal computer. Um, and uh, um, so I've always been interested in crypto since really 2011, maybe 2012. Uh, but I really, and, and uh, I really got like big time spending a lot of time in 2017 during the ICO craze. Uh, and this is when I really, I, I decided this this would be what I really wanted to do. Uh, for for uh, the rest of my career, but before that, I've I've always been very interested in crypto. Just, just you know, I was curious. Was there a particular application or idea or use case that pulled you down the rabbit hole, or was it kind of the accumulation of years of following the space? I think it was gradual. I remember even buying a, a Bitcoin miner, a, a machine, one of the first ASICs for Bitcoin mining. I think that was in. 2016, it was this called this machine called the Butterfly. I think uh, that you know, I think was went very bad. I think they, they sent it very late. That was fun, and you know, just you know, little by little uh, over time, um, and then the, the the ICO was interesting because it was, to be honest, it was a bit like gambling. It was fun. Uh, I didn't spend a lot of money, but I was very much into it. And um, what I did is because, it, I mean, I, I think I'm very technical, but it took me a long, long time to really understand crypto. It's like it was for me, it was like learning a new language, basically, like you, 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 you're, right. you're finding Japanese or Russian, different alphabet. It was very difficult. So it took me a while. And I thought at the time in 2017 that uh, uh, investing in companies, investing in tokens would be the best way to really understand what they do where they are on the value chain 
and this is when I yeah, started to invest and, and uh, it was the um, my on ramp into crypto is, is investing and, and really as much as I could uh, try to understand you know how this, how everything works. So tell me a little bit about what you do now, now that we've framed up your background and how you got into this space. Talk a little bit about Sandbox and what you do there now. So I'm the US CEO for the Sandbox. I've been a board member and advisor of the company for quite some time uh, and decided to jump in uh, like full time at the beginning of the year. Um, and in case you don't know, the Sandbox is the largest or so one of the largest Web3 metaverse today. Uh, we have considerable traction. So I manage everything US, plus I manage a few global roles like CopDev. I'm also managing, uh, doing a lot of BizDev, partnership management, marketing, a lot of lot of different things. So one of the things that we do here on this podcast is we like to bring new people into the space, give them a, an entryway. So let's talk a little bit about the metaverse, a term that many people have heard, probably few people really uh, have a granular knowledge of. Give us your take on what the metaverse is and why you're so passionate about it. So the thing is, everyone has some idea of what the metaverse should be or will be. A lot of people think that the metaverse is this Ready Player One vision, you know, from, from these movies from a few years ago, where it's like one big tech company controlling everything, people living in favelas, and then they put these goggles and uh, uh, you live an amazing life. And, and our vision and my vision is very different. So for, for me, the metaverse, uh, it's first of all, it's multiple metaverse. We truly hope that we're going to have a world with multiple companies being interoperable between one another. So we, we don't pretend to be the, the only one. And, uh, uh, and I hope that people we know will, will go from one metaverse to another and, and carrying with them, you know, their NFTs or their avatars or the things they've done, the creation they've done in, in one into the, to the other. So for me, the metaverse and the sandbox is really this virtual space usually it's represented in 3d uh it's avatar centric so you wandering into this 3d space with your avatar and you meet other people you can play games you can experience all types different types of, of um, experiences whether it's a concert whether it's uh, uh entertainment whether it's socializing eventually i think you'll be able to do shopping our vision is that Everything you do in the real life, eventually you will have some form of it inside the uh, inside the metaverse and inside the sandbox. Not obviously, not everything exactly the same. It's we're not trying to compete with reality. We're trying to make it to augment it or to to make it a bit different. Um, and uh, and also our vision is or my vision and our vision is that the uh, it's not just about virtual reality goggles. Uh, right now, the sandbox works on your PC and your Mac. Then it will be launched on mobile, and and uh, and uh, and we think it's going to be cross-platform, multi-platform, um, and hopefully, yeah, it's not going to replace reality. It's just you know the next generation of what we already do on 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 the web or, or, or on our phones. So, Matthew, what's the utility of the metaverse right now, and ultimately, where do you see that utility growing uh, as the months and years go by? So right now, people come in the sandbox to leave experiences that are really hard to live in the real life or hard to live on the web or on mobile. Uh, and, and really the metaverse really, you know, enables you to, yeah, live those amazing experiences that are really difficult to, to live otherwise. It also helps you, you know, be whoever you want to be. Um, 
and we've seen right now four use cases of the metaverse or four verticals that are uh, very involved in the metaverse. Number one is gaming, and this is where the sandbox comes from. We've, we've been doing games for a while now, and uh, uh, the metaverse is a great place to really engage with friends, have fun, compete or cooperate for, for different types of games. So that's use case number one. Uh, use case number two, number two is entertainment. Turns out that people want to come to the metaverse and want to come to the sandbox to be entertained, whether it's attending a virtual concert, whether eventually it's going to be about watching movies together, or, you know, even leave an experience that is not necessarily a game, but it's just wandering around, uh, uh, exploring spaces, uh, for example, we're working with Snoop Dogg and you can go in the Snoopverse and explore his mansion, for example. Use case number three uh, is art through NFTs and um, it's a new type of art, but I think NFT collectors are interested to uh, display their NFT collections. So you can build inside the sandbox, you can build a museum, for example. And use case number four, it might be a bit more surprising, is really digital fashion. Uh, and it turns out that, that uh, people like in the real life, they, you know, the fashion is, is very often you, your identity uh, and show to your community who you are and, you know, what are your values or how cool you are. And people are spending a fortune, you know, on, on, on fashion in the real world. And, and, and they do the same in, in, inside the sandbox or inside uh, the metaverse in general. Uh, so we see a lot of fashion companies, luxury companies very, very actively building for the sandbox. And and this is like really what's happening now. And then over time, uh, as I said, everything you do in the real life will have some form of it. So we think you'll do uh, shopping, uh, you'll do socializing, maybe you'll be working inside the sandbox, maybe you'll be educated inside the sandbox. For example, we, we have this partnership with this uh, World of Women NFT Foundation uh, or, or project and we're building with them an, uh, a university to bring women and minorities into Web3. And it's going to be, you know, uh, a virtual university, you know, in the sandbox with virtual representation of university. And you can have classes, courses, you can have a, a diploma. That's ob obviously it's going to be an NFT at, at the end of the class. So, um, and even, you know, so everything, and, and, and obviously you're not going to eat in a restaurant inside the sandbox. However, I can tell you that we are already working with chefs to build restaurant experiences. I can't disclose what they will be, but I think they'll they'll be interesting and fun. So it's going to be very, very exciting. So tell us a little bit about what your day-to-day -day is like. What are you doing right now and how are you helping to facilitate that process? You know, you've described this compelling vision of what the future may begin to resemble. What are you doing in that uh, right now to facilitate that with your platform? So my day today, I'm, I'm, I live in Los Angeles and I'm building the team right now uh, in the US. So I do a lot of recruiting uh, and we are so far, we are not affected by the, the, the market downturn. I mean, I have to be honest, there is a market downturn. It's not fun. It's not great. But uh, as far as the sandbox is concerned, you know, um, we, we, we go as planned. So we're heavily recruiting. So I, I spend a lot of time, you know, uh, in, in meetings, recruiting. I spend a lot of my time also working with partners uh, to bring the biggest brands or the biggest artists inside the sandbox. So I have meeting with their team um, and you may have seen, you know, uh, the deals with or partnership we have announced with 
you know, companies like Gucci or Adidas or Warner Music or, you know, artists like, you know, Snoop Dogg and, and many others. So it's a lot of uh, building the team um, um, and, and working with partners. Because our ambition, our goal at the Sandbox, I, I was saying before that we don't want to be the only metaverse. We really hope there will be multiple metaverse that can be interoperable with one another. But our ambition is to be one of the most exciting metaverse, uh, very much like you know New York or Los Angeles or London. Those very big cities are exciting. They attract the biggest brand, the talented people, artists, and that's that's our goal. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So obviously some big brands, some big names that you just mentioned. How are they using Sandbox and Metaverse more generally today? So I, I can't speak specifically about the partners because we're building the experience and I can't disclose that what they will be. But in more general terms, I think those brands are interested in building or engaging their audience or their customers or their partners in ways that is not possible in the physical world because of constraints of space or money or gravity or this kind of things. And that it is neither possible on mobile or web. You know, the, the type of interaction you have with, with your audience on the mobile or on the web is very often very transactional or it, it is, it's very much, you know, the, the user interface is, hasn't really changed much over the past decade or so. And right. with the metaverse, you can really be more creative and you can uh, create experiences that are really, again, not possible in the real life, not possible mobile or the web. Your only limit is your creativity. So, for example, if, if you were, let's say you're a fashion brand, for example, and, and, and the, f the first thing you could do is say, oh, why don't I just recreate a shop in the metaverse? You know, just, I do the architecture and my clients come in and they see the, the, the clothes on the racks and they can buy it. But of course, some people will do that. But I think what's more interesting for them and for us is that if they go beyond this and they create shopping experiences, for example, that are uh, experiential. So, for example, if you're a fashion company, you could uh, have a fashion, you know, maybe a photo shoot in the Bahamas and then you walk, you open a door like or a portal and all of a sudden you are um, in a, uh, the workshop of a creator in Milan or in Paris and then a few door, a, a few steps outside and all of a sudden you're on a fashion show. And so I, I think it's going to, the, the, the metaverse is going to help brands focus on the narrative and focus on something really uh, unique that is not possible. And I think it's going to open up a new way to interact between brands and their audience. So it sounds like you're very much in this building phase right now. Uh, when we talk about the metaverse, we talk about the functionality. How is that unfolding? Uh, what are some of the lessons you've learned by engaging in that process? So the first lesson we've learned is that it's building a metaverse is a very complex, very difficult project. It's not something that can be done overnight. We've been at it for four years, really, since really 2018. We started at the 
at the bottom of the crypto winter at the time when crypto gaming wasn't even a thing. I think um, CryptoKitties was just uh, just been launched like a few months before in 2017. Right. Uh, and and this is lesson number one. So I was saying I believe in a multi-metaverse world, but it's not going to be millions of metaverse because it's the, the amount of money, the amount of people behind this. We're talking, I mean, at the Sandbox, we're hundreds of people working day to day building this. So it's really a, a massive project. Uh, that's lesson number one. Um, lesson number two for us is that we think successful metaverse we should start with the, the gaming angle instead of focusing on purely the social angle. You have a lot of, I mean, you have some metaverse today which are a bit more focusing on, on being more a social space. You have an avatar and you wander around and you talk to other people, you make friends, which is okay. But for us, we think it's much more interesting and much more engaging coming from the gaming angle. So inside the sandbox, and we are a gaming company, so we've, we're building, you know, quests and challenges and leaderboards and level up all the game mechanics that have proven to be successful, engaging, uh, and also retaining, uh, that can help retaining people. So what's the difference uh, today between a metaverse non metaverse game? How do you define uh, those two different domains? A gaming metaverse and a non-gaming metaverse may look the same. Uh, you have an avatar, you have buildings, you can have a forest, you can have mountains, you can have the beach, you can have all of this. But uh, yeah, for us, it's really about building uh, engaging experience like really that are really at the root that are really games. So and, and, and we know those mechanics very well. I, I know those game mechanics very well. I've, I've been in the game space for like 20 years now. And it's, yeah, building quests. People love quests. Uh, you tell them, okay, you have to do this. And if you achieve this quest, we'll give you a reward. So that's what we call the play and earn system in the gaming space, where if, if you achieve certain you know, tasks, you will be rewarded with our token, for example. Um, people love this. We also, right now, the sandbox works by the, the concept of seasons. So we have, we open the sandbox for, we open it in December for 30 days, in March for 30 days. The next season is coming soon, uh, like really soon now. Um, and, and people love to have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and you give right. them tasks and you have to achieve this and, and so on. So, you know, it's really building on, on very, uh, uh, well-defined game mechanics. So the idea behind the seasons is to give them a, a well-defined beginning, middle, and an end, so that they feel that there's a kind of a continuity with the narrative. And accomplishment. Also for us, it helps us building experiences. So the sandbox is a platform. So we are, think of us as a two-sided marketplace. We just put in touch creators on the one hand and users on the other. So it takes time to build experiences. And an experience is maybe a vector, but it can be a game. It can be a concert. It can be... A shopping experience it can be you know anything so it takes time for us to build so we started with 15 experiences uh in december and then in march we had 35 and the next one is going to be over 100 so uh, uh you see the the exponential growth of the experience it, it, it takes time especially at the quality we uh, we're shooting for you know one of the interesting aspects of the metaverse is its global nature tell us a little bit about where users come from and how the global aspect of metaverse coincides with what you guys are doing right now. So uh, what we've seen so far, not surprisingly, is that the U.S. is our biggest market. This is where we have the most players coming from. Uh, and then we have other English speaking countries, UK, Canada. 
Um, but we also have Western Europe, South America, Korea is big, Japan is big, China obviously we're almost nowhere, and you know why, crypto is banned there, so we're not very much active in China, I don't think we even have users. Um, uh, that's from a user's perspective. On the other hand, from a creators and builders perspective, we have creators and builders from all over the world. And as we try to bring culture into the sandbox, we're very much open to having, you know, creators from, you know, Taiwan or Brazil or Western Europe, the US. We, we very much open to, to a lot of different, um, creation from, from everywhere. Uh, so for example, we're working with, uh, Shibuya, Japan. We're recreating the, uh, the Shibuya experience. Shibuya is this neighborhood in Tokyo, this very famous neighborhood where you see a lot of people, you know, in movies, a lot of people crossing the street. Uh, we're working in with Dubai. We're working with people in Taiwan uh, 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 and in Hong Kong as well. So uh, it's we're very much open to all types of cultures from all over the world. I'm curious to hear what you think of the integration of the economic model with the metaverse itself. Uh, give us a little bit of a sense of how you guys think about that. So the the big big change between a web two metaverse and a web three metaverse is really the economic model. And and you there are web two metaverse today in a way. In companies like Fortnite and companies like Roblox, there are some in a way metaverse, but their economic engine is really web two. So that means that everything is controlled by the company. Um, and the tech rate, meaning the commission that the the creators take, is really small. I think in the case of Roblox. The, if you're a creator, if you're a game maker, you get 25%, for example, of, of what's happening. And Web3 is, is very different uh, in that, A, the ownership is really in the hands of the creators and the users. Um, the Sandbox was just a, a minor, you know, uh, middleman, a minor platform. We take only 5% of commission. So 95% of everything that all the economic activity generated on the Sandbox goes back to the community, either to the creators or to the users. And that's very important for us. Um, and also the big difference between Web 2 and Web 3 metaverse is that uh, I would say Web 2 is like mostly a zero sum game. So if, if you know, Web 2 metaverse are competing with one another, they're trying to take away users from one another. Whereas in Web 3, it's not a zero sum game and, and, and we're working with our competition and we are competitors like co competitors but also cooperate with them and 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 we believe that making our metaverse interoperable is really creating value for everybody so for example you could build an avatar inside the sandbox or let me take another example you can buy an nft from a board yacht club or for a, from a world of women or the moonbird for example it's just a 2d images and we work with them so that if, if you go into the sandbox, they will be automatically transformed into a 3D voxel avatar um, uh, inside the sandbox. So this is the kind of, you know, it's just the beginning and obviously we want to do more. But so Web3 is, is a non-zero sum game. The, the more you work with others, the more value you create. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. 
be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So let's talk a little bit about how you guys think about the economic risk factors here. Obviously, you mentioned at the top of the show, everything in the crypto space is down considerably. Uh, the SAND token, the native token of sandboxes uh, down from a high of around $8.50, trading around one and a quarter as we have this conversation here uh, on July 6th. Give us a sense, Matthew, of the economic risk that people take to enter the universe. In other words, uh, if you want to get into the metaverse, what sort of uh, accumulation of the tokens do you need to have and what type of risk does that put on the users? Well, the first thing I will say, if you want to try the sandbox, you can enjoy the sandbox without spending anything. You can really download the game. It's it's a, it's a client. You download it on your, on your PC, on your Mac, and you can enjoy experiences 100% free. Now, if you are a creator, uh, you can also create uh, 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 wearables or weapons that you can sell and it requires almost nothing it's really almost nothing if you want to buy a piece of land it's a bit more expensive so uh, uh, the sandbox is a land-based virtual metaverse so it means we have a, a final amount of land we have about 166,000 plot of land for sale uh, every plot of land is about 2.5 acres seen from an avatar's perspective and you can buy those we've sold two-thirds of it right now and we are selling the the last third will be sold by 2025 or 2026 so you can buy a piece of land the smallest one is 2.5 acres it's going to cost you maybe a few thousand dollars in the form of sand token uh, that's the risk you can take if you want to build experiences again uh, no need if you're a player and if you're a player uh, you can as i said you can experience everything for free if you want if you choose to and but if you want to you know you can also invest uh, in the form of sand, you can buy avatars, you can buy, you know, wearables, you can buy maybe weapons, cars, you know, props, everything you want in, in the sandbox. But also the big difference between Web 2 and Web 3 is that you, also, you can also earn tokens uh, by completing tasks. And those tokens are in the form of sand, you know, the sand token, which is liquid. So that's a big change between, between Web 2 and, and Web 3. So the amount of investment can be zero to, you know, whatever you want. What's the highest amount a parcel of land is sold for in the sandbox? Oh, uh, I think it was at least a few hundred thousand dollars. So we have bigger plots of land. I think the biggest is, so uh, the smallest is 2.5 acres. And the, the biggest is, is about twice the size of Central Park in New York City. And those one goes for probably a lot of money. Maybe at one point, maybe millions of dollars. I have to check, but uh, uh, and, and they're very rare. So it depends on the size and the location. So what we did as well, we, we had this, you know, we have this partnership with Snoop Dogg and Snoop Dogg has a very big estate inside the sandbox. And in December last year, we sold adjacent lands to his estate. And it turns out that people wanted to be Snoop Dogg's neighbor and they want, you know, they were ready to pay big bucks for that. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting people who are outside the space, when they read these stories on, you know, CNBC or Wall Street Journal, they go, is this completely insane? Is this just a total bubble indicator? What's the case for why there is value in this land? And how might it ultimately be put to productive use within the metaverse in the future? 
So really our view as the sandbox is, is really bringing culture and bringing brands and bringing um, exciting people in the metaverse. And, and very much like, let's say at the beginning of Manhattan 200 years ago, the value of the land was probably pretty cheap. And in itself, it's not worth a lot. But if you attract people, if you attract brands, if you attract artists, you know, uh, ambitious people, eventually the value comes from the economic activity built on top of that. And this is very much what we're doing in the sandbox. We, you know, creating this critical mass of, you know, uh, um, uh, artists, brands, uh, people, uh, everyone who is interested in, in this space. And by creating this critical mass, we do, we're creating uh, economic activity. So I don't think it's crazy. Uh, I think it's real. We see it day to day. You know, we see people, you know, going in the metaverse and, and building businesses, enjoying, having experiences. So, you know, I, I don't think it's crazy. I think it's, it's the way to go. There might, there will be bubbles along the way for sure. Uh, uh, but, you know, uh, I know what we're building is real. It's solid. It's, it's, it's entertaining. People want to, and, and I see that people enjoy it. That's really at the end of the day, that's, that's what matters is we have users, we have creators on the platform. Right. So let's talk a little bit about your view of the future. How do you see this unfolding? What are we going to see in the metaverse space uh, and in Sandbox in particular over the next, say, 6, 12, 18, 24 months? Uh, I mean, from us, you can expect uh, a better product. Uh, more features, more experiences, more partners, more users, everything more. Uh, and that's what we're working towards, you know, uh, at the moment. So it's, it's a lot of energy, a lot of, we have a bit less than 400 people in the company working every day, making this happening. Mm. Uh, that's really for us and, uh, look forward to the next season that's going to open, you know, really soon now. Um, and for the industry, I think, I don't know if you'll see a lot of metaverse coming online in the next six to 12 months. And the reason is because really building a metaverse is really such a complex project. Uh, and, and if you raise money now, if you had raised money six months ago to build a metaverse, I think you'd be lucky to launch in 2025, 2026. If you want to build like a, a large scale, full featured metaverse, maybe some companies will build more niche product that are maybe easier and, and, and faster uh, to market. But, uh, if you're building a, a full-featured metaverse for, starting now, uh, it's going to take a while. Yeah, that speaks to the scale and complexity of the task. Matthew, let's shift ahead a little bit. We've talked about what we expect to see uh, in the next 18 to 24 months. If you zoom the lens of the camera out three to five years, what might we see in the metaverse uh, and how might it change the world? So there are several scenarios. The first one is really having one big tech company owning the whole space, the ready player, you know, one vision. And I hope it's not going to happen. I hope it's for me, it's like a pure dystopian nightmare. Uh, and, uh, you know, all the Web3 metaverse, we're working hard to make sure that this is not happening. And I think it won't happen. I think we're going to be the winning on the winning side of history here. Um, and so I, I really hope that in three to five years, you'll have uh, a few very high quality metaverse, uh, maybe 10, 20 metaverse, uh, Sandbox being one of them, one of the leading one, but uh, uh, we have different styles. So for example, Sandbox is voxel, pixelated style. It's a bit like Minecraft if you want to visualize, or maybe Roblox if you want to visualize what it looks like. 
Some other metaverse are, are having what we call a high def approach, meaning they try to really mimic reality, you know, the best they can. So it requires more powerful computers and and so on. So I think hopefully we'll have, you know, maybe 10, 20, 30 metaverse all being interoperable by way of NFTs and ECR 720 and, and maybe other blockchains if, if they're successful, we'll see. Um, and I also see um, maybe smaller niche metaverse, maybe some focusing on music, maybe some focusing on other verticals, for example. Um, and I expect people to spend a significant amount of time uh, uh, or their time in the metaverse. Not all of their time. I hope they will still enjoy the, you know, the real life and meet friends and have a drink with friends. Um, and I think they will still, you know, be doing surfing on the web or, you know, spending time on mobile. But I see the metaverse taking a more and more time away from, from the, the web to uh, uh, usage. Um, so I don't know how much. Maybe people will spend an hour per day or two hours per day in, in the metaverse in, you know, three to five years from now. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us on Building Blocks. Thank you for having me. All right, that's a wrap on Building Blocks. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, head over to realvision.com forward slash crypto, where the crypto conversation always continues. <laughs>